you a fan of this podcast? Do you wish there was even more juicy content for you to sink your ears into? Well, there is. You can become a premium member of this podcast for $5.99 a month and get full access to an archive of over 50 bonus episodes. Additionally, we release a bonus episode every single month. That's a ton of extra content, including my personal interior design diaries, extra tips, my talking about trends, and so much more. Additionally, you'll be keeping us on the airwaves each and every week because your premium membership money goes directly back to making this podcast amazing. Check us out at affordableinteriordesign.com. Click on podcast to learn more and to become a premium member today. need a high-end designer or a lot of money to get a luxe look. Be your own interior designer. This is Affordable Interior Design, the podcast. Here's your host, Betsy Hellman. Hi, everyone. It is great to be back with you again this week. Today, I am joined by a very special guest. As you guys know, I do not have a green thumb. While I appreciate plants, I am not a connoisseur. But today, I do have a connoisseur with me. Her name is Maria Faella. Some of you may know her from her amazing podcast, Bloom and Grow Radio Podcast. So without further ado, let me have her introduce herself. Welcome, Maria. Hi, Betsy. Thanks for having me. Yes, we're like the yin-yang, I feel like, that every um, interior design person needs because most interiors look really good with plants, but I feel like they don't necessarily go hand in hand. So I've got all the plant answers and you've got all the interior design answers, which is super fun. (laughs) And I love it because we're podcast swapping. So for those of you who want to hear interior design content on a plant podcast, you have to check out Maria's podcast. I think it's dropping in January. And then of course she's on my podcast so we can cross pollinate. Did you see what I did there? We can I love that. Pollinate <laughs> our information because, you know, as I was telling her on her show, I said the very last thing as I'm leaving the client's apartment or their house, I'm putting my shoes on, I'm packing up my measuring tape and they always stop me and they say, oh, Betsy, we forgot what about plants? And then I make that face and I'm like, you have to have plants. <laughs> yeah. And then I say, well, if we have to have plants, but you're just right, Maria, I don't know how to guide people, you know, and I don't want to provide them with recommendations that won't thrive. So that's why you're here today to help educate me and our listeners on, you know, how to recommend plans, how to help them thrive in like placements of rooms. Yeah. And I just want to say before we dive in, I totally get it. I totally get that because I was actually a notorious plant killer before I became the plant lady that I was today. And interior design and wanting to nest in a home is actually what instigated my love for plants. So I killed every plant I had ever interacted with an adult whatever weird thing you've done to a plant, I've 100% done it. I've, you know, only watered them at night, only spritzed their leaves, completely forgotten about one for three months. I mean, I've, I have a pretty extensive plant graveyard. And 
when I moved in with my he's my husband now. He was my boyfriend back then. I really wanted to nest. And we were living in most of his stuff, which wasn't exactly my design aesthetic. And so I decided, okay, well, it would be really nice. I want to take care of something. I'm in love. Maybe I'll get some plants to kind of freshen the place up. We had a nice little balcony. We grew herbs together. Um, And when I started having plants in my home, that's when my home actually started to feel like a home. And my life kind of changed because as an overstimulated millennial, you know, I'd wake up and immediately start scrolling Instagram or Pinterest. And once I started caring for plants, I would take my coffee instead. And instead of being with my phone, I would go sit on my balcony and I would enjoy my herbs and I would smell my basil and I would watch dew drop off of the leaves um, and have this like really meditative experience. And it was really beautiful. So that's why I started Bloom and Grow Radio. I was actually kind of still killing plants at the beginning. You can kind of track my whole plant parenthood journey through like the 150 episodes that I have. Um, But the podcast was really to interview experts and learn alongside my my listeners to educate and empower everybody to care for plants successfully and cultivate more joy in their lives. And I really feel like, you know, every every room needs a plant, but it's all about having a plant that can thrive and be successful in said room so you don't start feeling bad about yourself because I feel like once you kill a plant or two, then you label yourself a plant killer and you actually like carry some shame about it. Um and everybody thinks that that's a unique experience, but it's really not. So many people have been there and you just don't know. And we talked about this when you were on my podcast, you just don't know what you don't know when it comes to design tips, design sense and plant care. Um, And the only difference is education, right? So hopefully we're going to bust some plant myths today and, and your listeners will walk away with some really tangible, actionable steps to get blooming and growing. Wonderful. Well, it gives me hope that you started out in this dark place, you know, because I will hang on to a plant, you know, not wanting to like toss it. I feel like it's like a soul or something. So I'll hang on to Mm -hmm. it until it's crispy and brown and fried. Yeah. And like people are kind of like appalled by the plant and then I'll put it on the curb. But it takes that long for me to get there. Now, you know, what should we be thinking about? Because when I'm looking at a room, I always add the plants last because then I know where I have surfaces, right? I know where I can put a planter. I know where I have an open corner that needs a larger plant. So I always think about them at the end, but then that doesn't always take into account the type of light that they need. So how do you recommend plotting your plants around a room? Yeah, I think it's interesting. I think interior designers see spaces, right? They see the holes that they want to fill the plants in. And I think plant people see windows, right? Mm -hmm. So I think when you're evaluating where you want to put your plants, the first thing you have to do is figure out your windows, what direction they're facing, and how much natural light you're actually getting. Because unless you have grow lights, which are, and we can talk about that a little later, uh, which are like light bulbs and light fixtures that actually, you know, mimic the sun with the photosynthetic spectrum, um, your ambient light in your home isn't going to give the plants the light that they need. So to, to take a further step back before we dive into that, it's really important to understand that plants eat light. Plants need light to survive. So they use photosynthesis to create, they basically absorb radiant energy from the sun and they convert it into something that they can kind of burn or quote unquote eat. So uh, I like the term plants eat light because it just kind of like makes it, it makes it further understandable for, for humans. So if there's no natural light, if there's no sun sunbeams or sun hitting these plant leaves, 
the plant is basically slowly dying and the plant can kind of survive for a long time and kind of exist on what it has. But you really need to make sure that you're setting your plant up for at least a little bit of success with a little bit of light. Um, And there are different plants for different levels of light in rooms that we can also talk about. But I think it's really important to just really stress like your plants need light. If you have a bathroom with no windows, you can't put a plant, like no light, no plants, you know, or you can come up with other alternative ideas that we can talk about in a little bit. So windows are so important because that's obviously where the sun comes in. So what I always recommend is kind of doing an environmental assessment when you move into your new home. So the easiest kind of general guidelines to use for this is understanding exposure for windows for north, south, east, west. So you've hit the lottery for plant care if you have southern facing windows, if you're in the northern hemisphere. So that's going to be the brightest windows that you could get if they're unobstructed. Then if you think about it, the sun rises in the east and sets in the west. So it gets a little hotter as it sets. So the second strongest light window exposure is going to be western facing windows. Then you're going to have eastern facing windows because they get that gentler morning light. And then if you think about it, northern windows are going to have the least amount of light because that sun never actually goes right in the window. You're going to get ambient light, but the sun is going to be able to go right through a southern facing window. So mm. it's super easy to assess if you don't if you don't like just know the the where your apartment faces or where your home faces. You can just open the Compass app on your phone. When we were house shopping, I was like a freaking maniac with my Compass <laughs> app walking up to all of the different windows like looking for the different exposure. <laughs> And then you can go from there. So you're going to be in like the highlight area, you know, southern, western, medium light, eastern, low light, northern. And then you have to take your surroundings in. So a great example, if you're an interior designer designing a apartment, I lived in New York City for 10 years. I lived in several different apartments and every apartment had a very different light situation. So I had a a huge Southern facing window in one of my apartments, which should be the jackpot, but I had an enormous apartment building in front of it, which blocked the sun. So it actually rendered it like a low light situation. So the first stop is kind of understanding your window exposure. And then the second stop is just kind of standing in your room, getting a sense for Are there sunbeams coming in, right? You can see if a sunbeam is actually hitting a plant or if a sunbeam travels across your room throughout the day. So there's just kind of ways that you can kind of get your spidey senses going, but like turn off your lights and actually see what your natural light is. I mean, I feel like for interior designers, natural light is always kind of the jackpot anyway, right? We love natural light, but I also (laughs) love artificial light. Like I like being able to control what's going on. I love my three way Mm -hmm. switches, my dimmer bulbs. But again, it's so interesting because I have, you know, my plant right over there. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I think it's thriving and surviving. It's behind me. If you guys are watching on YouTube, it looks like it's thriving and surviving. It's been months, but it doesn't get any sun ever. So Maria has told me my plant is slowly dying. That's so So it's probably not as... Now, if you get ambient light in that room, like if it's a bright room and it's in bright indirect light, it could be good. But if it is in like kind of a windowless room, I can't really see from this video uh, perspective that I have. But um, yeah, it might be just hanging in there. It might be hanging in there with whatever little light it needs. So you can also think about it like uh, raindrops. Uh, I have another friend who's a horticulturist who says that um, like this, the volume of, of light you need is kind of important. So it's like, think about 
photons of light being like little raindrops that hit plant leaves. So you're just getting not as much. Your plant would probably love to eat a little bit more light if you could put it in, put it in a higher light situation. But also if you have low light spaces, the cool thing is grow lights are an amazing alternative now to natural light. And they have grow lights in the coolest I modern fixtures. Light. Oh, are you I really? I think so. That light, I have, I have some clients who are super into plants. That mm-hmm. light is so harsh. So you're probably, okay. So it depends when these friends had their grow lights, but there used to be, when you used to have grow lights, it used to only be like purple or orange or blue or like super, super orange, super bright. There are like luxury grow light companies now that have created like museum quality lighting that mimics the sun with that photosynthetic spectrum. So I, I have three of these lights. They're called Soltech Solutions lights. They're aspect pendant style lights. I hang them in my ceiling. They're super modern and they look like any other light. I swear I have friends over. I entertain. No one knows it's a grow light until I point it out. It's also usually, you know, it's hanging above my plants. So it's like a focal point. Um, And now they also make really amazing light bulbs that have the photosynthetic spectrum in them. And it's any other, it's, it's like any other light bulb that you just screw into a uh, desk lamp. So you could have a desk lamp next to that plant and have just a smart plant light bulb in there. And it would just look like any other normal desk lamp. Yes. Cause I was thinking of those elongated tubes. You're thinking of T5 tubes. Yeah. And they just turn my stomach and, you know, I don't want to yuck anyone's yum. But as I'm designing for these people, I'm like, what are we going to do with these tubes? So that is very illuminating. (laughs) Yeah. And most, it's very illuminating. And most lights are also LED now. So those tubes were T5s that you're talking about. LED lights, they're a lot easier to install. So I have LED strips like under my bookshelf. So I've turned like an entire bookshelf into a grow shelf, which is really cool. They've really made a lot of solutions and if they all come with timers. So you set them and, you know, the amount of time that the light needs to be on for the plant to, you know, photosynthesize enough. Some of them have dimmers. I have ones that actually dim and uh, they they mimic the sun, so they like fade in and fade out like a sunrise and a sunset. So I will say, in the last couple of years, with this uh, increased interest in the plant space, I feel like grow light companies have really really upped their ante, <laughs> up to their game. Well, just in time for us to all be hunkered down inside for the pandemic, mm-hmm. you know, not getting our own natural light. Maybe does that work for vitamin D? I bet it would. I feel like it does. I don't know if it's the same as a sad lamp, actually. I feel like it might be very similar, but I'll say I actually right next to me at my office, my office is actually very low light. And I recently just set up a table and I put a bunch of grow lights and I have like a crazy little botanist section over here. Um, And I feel a difference that I have two grow lights on during my entire workday now. I don't know if that's, you know, placebo or not, because I also am super happy because I have all my plants next to me. So if people are interested in these grow lights, I have a grow light section on my website of all of my recommended grow lights if people want to go check them out. But yeah, I wouldn't get too worried about grow lights too. I mean, it can be as simple as putting a a bulb into, you know, a really beautiful light fixture. Um, But I would say just figure out your window situations. And then another important thing that I think designers don't realize, and I think most people who aren't plant people don't realize, is how far a plant is from the window greatly impacts the light. So you might 
think, oh, I have southern facing windows. Um, you know, I have some some bright light, um, so I can put a plant anywhere in the room. But once you take a plant like two feet from a window, the volume of light greatly decreases. So you really want to be careful of not to put plants too far from your windows or that natural sunlight isn't necessarily going to reach the plant and give the plant all of that, you know, food that it needs. Got it. Got it. Well, you know, plants, I always say rooms need at least like one living thing, whether it's a plant or whether it's the rabid dog outside my storefront right now. Hopefully that's not (laughs) distracting you, but somebody's put their dog in a car and he's not having it. I record right here on Main Street. And so I have amazing windows. I have plate here. I'll spin my, I have these big storefront windows. Oh, beautiful. That get so much morning light. They face east and it gets hot as a sauna in here. I bet. But of course, I keep all my plants in the back. So I've learned something today. (laughs) Well, it's also interesting because you just showed me the most gorgeous floor to ceiling shop windows. So you're getting Eastern light, which technically isn't the strongest amount of light. But because you have such a big window, the volume of light that your plants are getting is plenty, right? Yeah. Where if you had a tiny window with Southern. So I, I think it's really interesting because everybody's lighting environment is so different, you know, and I talk, you know, sometimes I say like, if you and I got the same snake plant, right, which is a very low light tolerant plant. um, But we got the same exact snake plant, same size, same soil, same nursery pot, and you took it home and I took it home. We would probably have to water it at different frequencies. We would probably like be caring for it in different ways because your home environment is so different than my home environment. Um, not like to be totally dramatic about it, but it is like everybody's home environment is going to be a little different. And obviously that's going to affect how you care for plants. But I have a question about that. So, you know, when it says low light plant, cause that is what I gravitate towards low light, low maintenance. Uh, if you put it in strong light, is it going to have an adverse reaction or it can just tolerate low light? Okay, this is a great question. Sometimes plants are marketed as like low light loving plants. And I think it's very important to reframe and understand that it's a low light tolerant plant. So plants, if you think about the sun, the the strength of the sun outdoors versus indoors is so different. <laughs> it's so much stronger. So even a low light plant outdoors is going to be getting way more light than what they would be getting indoors. So you have to kind of think about that indoor-outdoor thing because our plants weren't designed to be put in pots indoors, right? They live outdoors. They get various, you know, flux of sunlight throughout the day. Um, And, you know, I don't know, plants are amazing. I I won't go down the tangent I was just about to go. But um, so low-light tolerant is important to understand. But most of these low light tolerant plants actually tolerate a lot of light and actually love light. So the snake plant, which is the plant that I just brought up, I feel like it's a very commonly found plant. It's beautiful. It has long structured leaves. Its nickname is mother-in-law's tongue. It has these long like spade-like leaves. Um, And it would look beautiful, I think, in many different design styles. Um, It's actually a highlight loving plant. And if you put the snake plant in a bright window, it might even flower for you. But I I actually, if you're interested in this plant, I just published a snake plant care episode on my podcast. And I go off on this rant because, because snake plants are 
um, market it as low light tolerant because they can tolerate it. Um, they always get put in the darkest corner of your room. But snake plants love high light and I feel bad for them. So I'm on this campaign to like get snake plants in the light that they deserve, uh, which is super nerdy. Um, so yeah, so mo- so many plants I think you will find I think in general, everybody overestimates how much natural light they actually get. Mm -hmm. So I think in general, if you put lower light plants in a higher light situation, I think you'll be pleasantly surprised with how happy they are. Mm. That being said, ferns that are uh, low light plants, right? If you stuck a fern in a really bright window, I don't know if a fern would love that, especially too, they have really delicate leaves. If it was a sunny windowsill, if the fern leaf touched the window, it could burn. Mm. So there are some plants who really do prefer not to be scorched by the sun, but I feel like there are so few homes that have light that is that bright, that is like actually going to scorch something. Um, So I feel like it can be a little relative there, if that makes sense. This storefront scorches at 9 a.m. Yeah. Like I walk in, it's 45 okay. degrees. But yeah, it's floor to ceiling windows. And now it's time for a quick commercial break. Do you love this podcast? Do you wish you could learn even more? Well, we have an online class bundle. Our online class bundle is comprised of three online classes, beautifying your home for less, styling your home, and the fundamentals of feng shui. Each one of those three classes is between 30 and 45 minutes long and chock filled with visuals and tips, things that will help you to style your own space or help out with other spaces. Additionally, with the pack of three classes, you get an autographed copy of my book, Affordable Interior Design. You get all of that for only $99. Once again, that's the three online classes as well as the book for only $99. You just go to affordableinteriordesign.com slash classes. Once again, affordableinteriordesign.com slash classes to buy your bundle today. And if one of those classes sounded intriguing, but maybe you already have my book or some of the other topics are not of interest, you can buy the classes individually at that site as well. Each class is $40. So head over to affordableinteriordesign.com classes to get your bundle or your online class today. You know, I had another question. So you mentioned that plants eat sun, which I love. Plants eat light. Uh, but something I've never understood, and maybe this would change the game for me with plants, is plant food. You know, how they sell the sticks or they sell the- Yeah, fertilizer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What's up with that? (laughs) So plants eat light through photosynthesis. They're converting, you know, these kind of carbs that they're eating. Plants uptake water and nutrients through their roots. And the nutrients are also part of other processes and, you know, things that they do. And I'm not a scientist. I'm not a horticulturist. So I'm not great at diving into the specific scientific things that are happening. But plants' roots is how they absorb their water and the nutrients. So in nature, plants have an infinite amount of nutrients and soil that their roots can crawl, you know, across. And if they deplete the nutrients in their, you know, local space, their roots can just keep growing to find more nutrients and water. And plants, this is something that plants do all the time in nature. Because we grow our plants indoors in pots that have finite amount of soil growing media and space once plants, and so the growing media, the soil that we have is filled with nutrients like potassium um, 
NPK, nitrogen, phosphorus, and, and potassium um, are the three that plants really need to do a lot of, um, to function successfully. And if the plants have taken up those nutrients that were available in that soil and those nutrients don't get replaced, then the plant isn't going to function properly. Um, so when you you fertilize because you add the nutrients back into your soil mixture, that might be depleted. Does that mean that I have to repot? Because potting plants is like, it prevents me from getting plants. The idea of totally plant. So do I have to like shake the old dirt out, put in some fertilizer? Could I just top it off? What does that look like? Great question. So you should only be repotting a plant when its root mass has grown so large that it's growing out of the pot. And a lot of people actually get in trouble because they repot plants too early and they take a plant. Say you have like a plant that's in a four-inch pot and its root system is like happy in that four-inch pot. And you put it in a pot that's eight inches with all this extra soil. That root system isn't going to be able to uptake water fast enough. So water is going to sit in the soil. And when water, too much water sits in the soil, it creates the conditions for root rot. Oh, yeah. What happens is the roots literally rot in the pot and they evaporate. They like disintegrate. They kind of return to the soil. And... um then the plant has no roots to uptake water and nutrients and then it dies. So root rot is like a huge issue in novice, you know, plant parents uh, who don't really know how to water properly yet and who may have these issues. So you see that you see root rot issues a lot with people repotting because they think that they should, but their plants actually super happy in the pot. Um, So with fertilizer, there's a bunch of different ways that you can do it. You can get the kind of granules that you actually just sprinkle on the soil and then you water And every time you water, you know, the water kind of catches some of the granules and just waters the plant that way. Yeah. I love liquid fertilizer. I'm a lazy plant parent, so I want it to be as easy as humanly possible. I have um, a Spoma Organic. It's pet safe, um, kid safe, and organic liquid fertilizer that I just dump into my watering can. And when I water, I just kind of fertilize, you know, once a month, depending on the growing season. Um, And then you can do those little plant food sticks. You can also kind of buy granules that you mix up with water and then you put that in your watering can, which is like way too much work for me. So there's all sorts of different ways that you can fertilize. Um, But, you know, if you've got a new plant, like the the soil in the pot should be enough. Uh, When you're growing edible plants, like tomatoes are heavy feeders. That's what they're called. So you're going to really need to be fertilizing that plant in the growing season when it's growing fruit. Um, but when you're talking about like your normal, like house plants that you're going to have, I wouldn't worry too much about fertilizing unless you have a plant that's been in the same pot for like five years. Hmm. No, they don't live that long, but, (laughs) (laughs) but yeah, nice try. Uh, so, you know, one other thing that comes up a lot and you mentioned earlier, no light, like, you know, there's air yes. plants. Let's talk about it. Yes. There's um, bamboo, which I use a lot. Uh, money plants can suffer. These are the only things I've had good luck with. But are there plants that can thrive in very low to no light? Bathroom plants. So very low to no light. No light, I'm going to say no. And I'm going to say it's a slower death. It's basically a slow death. However... There are people in the world that think one plant that will die in a year is cheaper than weekly flowers. I understand that thought. That makes me sad, but I get it. Um, And they're okay kind of replacing a plant frequently. Another thing you can do is get two of the same plant, 
one in the bathroom, one in the no light room, and one in a light room. And every couple of weeks, you swap them out. Oh, that's good. So that's that's kind of something you could do. You could have a rotating plant that you just kind of put in for a couple of weeks and then take out. When the company that's comes. kind of a headache. Yeah, yeah. Another thing you could do in bathrooms is, you know, they have really beautiful grow lights like that are that look like a frame that's illuminated that you could put on the wall. Um, so you could kind of do some sort of grow light installation in a bathroom. That's really cool. I have a friend who's like a next level plant parent who like really wanted ferns in his shower. He rigged grow lights that would go on throughout the night. So he'd go to sleep and the grow lights would be on from like 10 to 8 a.m. to give the plant the light it needed. And then he would have this like very lush bathroom like oasis. Um <laughs> So, but I think that there are some things that you can do with, with no light. So fake plants are an option. Now, hold on. I hold okay. on. I have a whole diatribe on fake plants. Oh, tell me. Okay. But I want to hear yours first because I am not a plant. I, I can't even call myself a plant parent. What am I like a plant? Something that's, you know, not impressive. <laughs> you're a plant owner a you're a plant, plant mom you I plants. feel like parent means nurturing which I'm not quite there but I do care about them but okay. tell me your thoughts on fake plants because I would think you have many so I've actually really changed my thoughts on fake plants over the years at first I was super anti-fake plants and I and I understand why there are a lot of people that are anti-fake plants because I used to be one of them it's not good for the environment. They look fake. They don't look real. They collect dust. I feel like when I think of a fake plant, I think of that like really dusty fake plant at the dentist office. It's just like covered in dust and spider webs that, you know, you haven't touched and no one's touched in like 10 years. But, you know, there's just a lot of studies that are like showing that being around plants makes you happy. And so part of me is like, if you want the look of a plant, go do that. Like go, go get your fake plant. They make much nicer fake plants now too. Yes. Like true. If, if you really want to create this look, if you really want the emotional benefit of, of kind of seeing green and seeing nature, I also understand it. So I feel like I'm kind of more neutral now than being like vehemently against them. But I also think a better option than fake plants is botanical art. Like if you're gonna, oh. you could do, you know, in a, in a bathroom or a plant with no, a, a room with no windows, like you could do amazing, you could do an amazing gallery wall of all sorts of different old botanical prints, or you could do a really big photo that's like really immersive that actually takes you there of a forest or something like that. Yeah. So I, I feel like there are another, there are other ways to kind of incorporate that fresh, vibrant feel without, you know, having a plant just kind of get sad. A lot of people also like, I feel like I see orchids, like if you buy an orchid that blooms for $2.99 from Trader Joe's or something, you can stick that in your bathroom. And then when it goes dormant, you can kind of deal with it however you want to deal with it. Like maybe then you take it outside, you put it in your windowsill, whatever you want to do. Um, So yeah. So what's your feelings on fake plants? Well, you said they make really nice looking fake plants right now. And Mm -hmm. they also make really expensive ones, right? But I think that nice looking or nice fake plants is an oxymoron. Yeah, that's fair. All fake plants. Yeah. I can't tolerate fake plants. I mean, I'm a plant killer, mm-hmm. former plant killer. I feel like now I have some new tools. I'm a former plant killer. And if you can't maintain a plant, no judgment, that's me. You should not have them. Yeah. 
Well, and then you should get, you know, I love this idea of framed images of plants. Of course, I use that all the time, but I never use it as a plant substitute. So I love that as another idea. But also, you know, I highly recommend dried flowers. Oh, yeah. A beautiful vase of like dried flowers or dried grasses. That would almost be, that would be amazing. And sculptural, like my next door neighbor has this huge hydrangea tree and they dry and they last forever and they look so cool. Mm, Beautiful. Um, So I love dried flowers. I love cut flowers. Mm -hmm. And um, that brings me to the other thing I love and talk about a lot, plants you can't kill. Yes. I need hardy plants, plants that can be patient with me Mm -hmm. and I'll be patient with them. (laughs) But I'm also, you know, I find that a lot of those plants you can't kill are small. Mm -hmm. Are there plants you can't kill that are larger? Because I want a statement plant, Mm -hmm. but I don't want to invest in something that's going to be volatile. Okay. So here's my take on plants you can't kill. I think you can kill every plant. I also think that there are some plants that are marketed as really finicky actually are really easy to care for, for the right personality. So I think that the the key to plant parenthood is picking the right plants for your lifestyle and your environment. So on my website, I have a plant parent personality test. By the way, I love your interior design personality test. I took it. I'm an eclectic. Uh, I like the eclectic style. Um, But my plant parent personality test, actually, it's a personality test that pairs you with the right plants for your lifestyle. So where I think plants get killed is when there's a lack of understanding about light. Uh, which we've, we've, you know, squashed some myths a little bit. And also there's a lack of understanding about the plant's needs. So if you're a low maintenance plant parent, you've got little kids running around, you travel for work. You don't want to be watering your plant every day, right? Like you need something that's hardy. I, I have a feeling you might be a low maintenance plant parent because you've been saying you need hardy, easy to care, like, Here's when I water my plants, just full disclosure. So I always have some water. Mm -hmm. I always have it within arm's reach. And at the end of the day, Mm -hmm. when I have some water left in my water bottle and remember, I'll just feed them whatever's left over. My backwash, essentially. I love that. (laughs) That's great. That's amazing. So, um, so right. So if you have that, if you're looking for the low maintenance, you know, plants that are drought tolerant. So that's interesting because that probably means you're not this plant parent personality type because um, there are other plants. So there are some plants that might want to get watered every day. So if at, at the end of every day, you're giving everybody a drink. That's actually a plant that wants a lot of water. Um, so if you give a plant that doesn't want a lot of water, like a succulent, a succulent really only wants to be watered like once every couple of weeks. If you're watering a succulent every day, the chance of that succulent getting root rot and like turning to mush is so high. Oh, but- I totally am doing that. I have one from Trader Joe's right now in my windowsill. And every night I'm just like, here's a splash for you. <laughs> so succulents in general, if you think about it in the desert, they go like long periods of time, not getting water. And then they get a big drink 
and then they go more periods of time. So you're nailing it. It's in your windowsill, which is great. So you know that succulents are high light. So you want to put them in the highest light situation that you have. It's a huge reason why people kill succulents is because they put them, you know, on a desk or on a, um, you know, coffee table that's not in bright direct light. Succulents need bright direct light. The brightest light you have, usually you're putting your succulents in there. Um, so yeah, but you know, you could potentially overwater that, that succulent when they're way more comfortable kind of having a period of drought. Um, if you like to water something frequently, you might want to try a bird's nest fern or a fern that isn't as fancy. So ferns sometimes need humidity. So depending on how humid your office is, that could be kind of tricky. But there are hardier ferns like a bird's nest fern, which I absolutely love, or um, like a crispy wave or like a blue wave fern. And ferns love water, right? They like having kind of wet feet. So that might be a great a, a great one for you that you can kind of, I call them the mindful plant parent because these plant parents actually tend to like to kind of be mindful and engage with their plants every day. Um, for you, you're kind of, you know, dumping water every day. Um, so I think it's kind of about identifying like how you want to care for your plants, how frequently you're going to realistically water them. If you want to kind of be helicoptering like in their, in their space, or if you really just want to like kick back, because I think it's in, it's interesting that you say, I need something easy. I need something, um, you know, hardy, easy to care for, but then you're actually watering it every day. Cause normally when you think of hardy, you think of a drought tolerant plant. So that's why I feel like I get hesitant to like recommend what's like the no kill plant because you can kill any type of plant. That being said, I'll say that there are definitely some forgiving plants that if you're a designer and you're working in a room and you're not really quite sure what the lighting situation is going to be and you need a plant that like you feel like is really going to kind of tough it out and kind of be able to thrive in several different scenarios, um, kind of like those plants that we talked, like the snake plant. So the snake plant could be, I love gifting snake plants because snake plants can tolerate low light and they love high light. So whoever I'm gifting them to likely has a space in their home that they could put a snake plant. Um, philodendrons are ha rather hardy plants. Pothos. I mean, oh man, in my houseplant killer days, I had this pothos plant, which I still have. And I have such gratitude for this plant because it was so patient with me. I almost killed this thing so many times I did the weirdest stuff. I almost drowned it once. I um, left it for two weeks in my house, in my apartment without air conditioning. It was like the hottest week of the summer. I went on vacation. I came back. It was like so fried and wilted, but it bounced back. So pothos are very forgiving plants that I think would make make for great like gifts or like they can kind of be in medium light. They can definitely stand some direct light, but they also are kind of comfortable in lower light. Um, ZZ plants are great. Um, they're really beautiful. Yeah, they're really beautiful. They're kind of known as a hardy plant. They come in green, but now there's new there's this new variety called the Raven ZZ that's black. The leaves are like black. So from a designer's perspective, I mean, having a black plant, that could be a really interesting statement plant. Um, yeah. Um, if you want a larger, you were mentioning you want like a larger tree or like a larger statement, I would look at like any type of Dracaena. Um, those are kind of, Dracaena is a really wide genus. There's a lot of different options, but um, they're taller plants. They have kind of spiky leaves. A corn plant would be another amazing option. Uh, corn. 
Yeah, corn plants are definitely a little old, more old school of like the, they they kind of give you that 70s vibe, but they're hardy, man. I've seen corn plants surviving in like the craziest situations. Um there are different Yeah, there are different ficus trees that aren't fiddly figs that are much less finicky that you could look into. Um, I think we should definitely address the fiddly fig situation. This is an interior design podcast. Everybody asks me. Everybody wants one. I don't know the first thing about them. Yes. Let's talk about it quickly. So fiddly figs, I think, are one of the most beautiful sculptural plants they're absolutely gorgeous and i completely understand why everybody wants one in their in their house they have these fiddle shaped leaves the plant latin is for this plant is ficus lyrata um they have fiddle shaped leaves and they can grow to 6 feet tall you can have a tree in your house it's so beautiful and interior design magazines put them in every single photo. So in every photo you look at, there's a beautiful couch, a beautiful table, and then a fiddly fig in the corner. Because I feel like for corners, like these larger plants, like really take up space in a corner. The issue is fiddly figs need bright light. And I have a whole episode on fiddly figs. If anyone is a fiddly fig lover and wants to like really take a deep dive, you can go check that episode out. But because we like really dive into it. But basically, they like bright light. So if you have a fiddly fig, you need to put it in a win- you need to put it in front of your window. You need to put it under a grow light. My fiddly fig thrives under my super modern, you know, not not grow light grow light that I have it under. Right. Um right. and they don't love to be moved. So they're kind of finicky Ooh. where like they don't love to be moved to like a bunch of different conditions. Like once they find their light that they like, they enjoy that light. <laughs> um what will happen is so they'll drop redecorate with a fiddly fig. Yeah. yeah. What'll happen is they'll drop their leaves and it's just so devastating cuz those leaves are so big. It definitely like makes it hurts a little bit when they drop their leaves. <laughs> so, you're welcome to get fiddly figs. I would just make sure that you have the right light situation and also a fun fact that I didn't know that I learned in the process of doing interviews for my podcast is corners can actually be the darkest area of a room. Because if you think about it, you have windows and the light moves through the window and kind of bypasses the corners. Right. Those are at the diagonals. So it would be hard to reach them. Oh, that's so interesting. So a lot of people put plants in the corners thinking, oh, it's right next to a Southern facing window. It's going to get so much light. I did this for four years ago in my house. (laughs) I had a lime tree in a corner because I thought that that it was going to be fine. Lime trees are like super, super highlight plants. Um, so I've kind of taken to, I have this like setup that I do in many corners of my house where I have like a plant stand that has three different tiers and I put three plants and then I hang a grow light on top of, of it to kind of fill the space of the corner, but also make sure those plants are, are properly lit. So just be wary that whatever plant you're putting in a corner, like really be a super sleuth and like really looking at, okay, are there any sunbeams hitting any aspect of this corner? Is this corner actually like mistakenly really dark? Do I need to kind of reevaluate and make sure that I'm putting a snake plant or a ZZ plant or something that's low light tolerant um, in there if, if that's what you're working with? 
Do you know what I have learned today? Just to bring this full circle, Maria. Tell me. I've learned that now as a designer, instead Uh of placing the furniture first, I have to place the plants first (laughs) and then put the furniture around the ideal light for the plants. And guilty as charged, I was just designing virtually a lake house in Minnesota today. Mm-hmm. And I was like, looky here, we have a corner right by a window. Let's put a big plant there. So I totally have egg on my face <laughs> because I put baby in the corner and baby ain't going to get any light. Oh my God, I love it. That's yeah. So, funny. so thank you for sharing this plant wisdom. You are definitely plant parent to the extreme. And the I extreme. am on my journey. Like yes. I'm going to look at your grow plant blog or web page and I'm going to be curious and maybe I'll ask for one for next Christmas. <laughs> so little by little. I'll send you some links. You can put them in the show notes. Um, and I know that I, I sound intense in this conversation, but everybody has been there, right? You really don't know what you don't know. And if people are interested in kind of taking deeper dives for plants, because I think the other thing is you don't know what you don't know until you realize what you don't know. And then you're like, oh boy, there's a lot I need to learn. Um, And we really have episodes for every level of plant parent on Bloom and Grow Radio from snake plants 101, if you like that plant, to how to water your plants. We have an amazing episode that just talks about how to correctly water your plants. Like that's it, you know? So we hit the basics. We have some nerdy, you know, plant science deep dives on photosynthesis if you really want to nerd out about how exactly plants eat light as well. Um, But, you know, there's really something for everyone. And actually there's an entire plant parent personality in my personality test that's called the design-based plant parent. And it's all about people who use plants as part of their design aesthetic and like they collect plants with an eye for design instead of just an eye, you know, wanting to see how the plant's going to like look. So I love your thought about putting plants first. And I don't think you have to, I don't think you have to go to that extreme because I know how passionate you are about designing, but at least kind of while you're, you know, putting your, your couch and your coffee table, just kind of like taking a look and being like, Oh, which, which direction do the windows face? Like, I wonder what I should put here, you know, just a little. I'm going to sound so much more knowledgeable. I'm going to impress all my clients and I'm not going to tell them that I feed my plant backwash. I'm not going to say that, but if you like an episode taking a deep dive and how to save your leftover water from the day, that I can help you with, Maria. I'm going to steal that tip, Betsy, honestly. (laughs) every Now at the end of my day, what I don't drink is going in my plants right next to my desk. I love that. I'm taking that home with me. I do it with the dog water too, FYI. Yeah. At the end of the day with the dog water, I'm like, who needs this? Who needs this? Anyway, so thank you for joining us. And where can people find you? Bloom and Grow Radio podcast for sure. But if they want to hop to that website. Yes. So the Bloom and Grow Radio podcast, you can head to my website to take your plant parent personality test. That's probably the best place to start. You get paired with your personality, but then also I match you with the best episodes that I think perfect are perfectly suited for your personality. So we have a lot of episodes in our catalog where it can get overwhelming. Um, so you can go over and do that. That's bloomandgrowradio.com slash personality. And I'll send you those links. And then I'm on Instagram and TikTok at Bloom and Grow Radio. If you ever want to come hang out with me on social medias as well. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me on your podcast. And I hope we bloom and grow together as podcasters and now friends.
Yes, absolutely. And I was telling you this on my on the episode we did for me, but I'm like, oh man, I can't wait to move out of my furnished rental I'm currently in to get my own home so I can start designing and hit you up for all the advice. <laughs> totally. Hit me up. We'll do a whole episode on designing Maria's apartment with plants in mind. Yes, with yeah. plants in mind. I love that. <laughs> all right. Well, bye everybody. Thank you for joining us and go check out Maria's stuff. It's amazing. I love her website. Until next oh, time. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's great. It's great. I even checked out the bottom to see who the designer was because it's on points. Until oh, next time, everybody. Bye. You've asked for it and we have answered the call. For years, you've been saying, Betsy, you're talking about all these great design concepts, but we can't visualize them. You're describing the picture that the listener sent in of their problem, and we wish we could see that picture too. After all, a picture is worth a thousand words, and I do my best to describe them, but there's nothing like seeing it for yourself. And that's why Affordable Interior Design, the podcast, now has a YouTube channel. Not only do we have a YouTube channel where you could see recordings and clips of these podcast episodes, we also have an Instagram, a Facebook, and so many other exciting things. You should check it out. Head over to affordableinteriordesign.com slash links. Once again, affordableinteriordesign.com slash L-I-N-K-S links. And when you go there, you will see links to our YouTube page, our Instagram page, our Facebook page, and more. Please check it out, follow and subscribe so you can see everything I'm talking about. A big thank you to our amazing producer, Catherine Heller, to Aton and the MBCR House Band, and to Affordable Interior Design, the sponsor of this podcast and the premier place to get an amazing look on a budget. Check out affordableinteriordesign.com. If you guys love the show, the very best way to support us is by spreading the word. Tell your friends or write us an awesome review on iTunes. So until next week, guys, thanks so much for joining us, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye.